0: This is the Life in the Front Office podcast. I want to first thank all of our listeners to making this a success and helping us continue to grow. We bring on sports executives and professionals from around the industry, all different aspects of the industry to provide insights and advice for those who are trying to enter the sports industry or those who are already in the industry just looking to learn something new and continue to get better. If you like our episode, please rate us on Apple Podcasts, leave a review, and visit our website at lifeinthefrontoffice.com for more episodes. Welcome to another episode on Life in the Front Office. It is 2020, and we are back uh, for episode 76. Really excited to have my co-host, Pat Gallagher, with me, um, and a guest uh, who's had couple hits in the NFL, couple hits in the XFL, couple hits in college football, um, Mike Pulaski and really excited to just talk about his career, what he's up to now, um, and share a little wisdom and insights on uh, on the podcast. So, Pat, Mike, welcome. Thanks.
1: Jake, appreciate it.
2: So, so Mike, you know, and I'll, I'll kick it off, and Mike has, you know, sort of gone from the gridiron to the outdoors to... Now, uh, finding ways to actually train athletes. But talk a little bit, Mike had an incredible football career. I mean, you know, you, Jake, in your, your introduction, you talked about hits. That weren't necessarily physical hits, but Mike did suffer a few physical hits. He <laughs> had a terrific career at Cal, um, actually played in a couple of bowl games, was the Pac-10, was the Pac-10 then, uh, player of the year, and then um, was drafted – I'm not sure that the Tampa Bay Buccaneers was his first choice of teams to be drafted. in. maybe we can chat about that, but played in the NFL. I got to know Mike uh, with his, the the one season experiment with the XFL, which was actually, we can talk about that a little bit, but Mike, welcome to the podcast. And uh, let's kind of start off and, and tell us a little bit about your path. I mean, what's your, you know, you grew up as a, as an athlete in L.A., what did you kind of think you'd be doing? What, what was
1: your passion then? That's funny because I, I tell a story. Uh, when I was eight years old, I was coming home from a T-ball baseball game, right? My dad, former military, loved to coach his kids in every sport, and he was my baseball coach. And we're riding home in the old Toyota SR5, and he looks at me and he says, so what do you want to be when you grow up, son? And I said, well, I, I'm going to play professional baseball. And he looked at me kind of like, you know, like dads. It's, oh, yeah, okay, got it. Yeah, what, okay, if that doesn't work out, what do you want to be? And I said, I had just watched my first fishing show ever. It was fishing with Orlando Wilson. He was fishing down on uh, Lake Okeechobee in Florida, catching massive bass, okay? And I said, well, I'll just host a fishing show. And my dad kind of rolled his eyes like, oh, okay, well, let's go get some chicken. We went on to Pioneer Chicken, and, you know, he didn't think about <laughs> it. 21, or not 21 years later, about 13 years later, I was, I was uh, signed my first professional contract My dad's like, well, you said you wanted to play pro baseball, but here you are playing football. And then when I got done playing football, obviously, Pat, you alluded to it. I went on to start my own production company, TV production company, and film outdoor television. And I had a fly fishing show called Familiar Waters. And so my dad, I came back with my son. He was just born. um, And my dad looked at me and said, do you remember that time we were sitting in the car and you were eight years old and you said you wanted to be a pro baseball player and and host a fishing show? He said you did it. How many people in America do it? Well, you did it. <laughs> so, yeah,
2: it's it, it's fantastic. And you know, you had a a terrific experience at Cal and uh you actually played in uh, in a couple of bowl games. Um I know one of them was the Citrus Bowl. What was the other?
1: The Copper Bowl. It was oh. the at the time it was the Domino's Pizza Copper Bowl uh-huh. uh played down in Tucson. I think it's the Arizona Bowl or the Cactus Bowl now. I don't remember which one it is. Mm-hmm. Um but but it's uh It was a great thing because I had the beauty of, they say timing is everything, right? Mm -hmm. I came into Cal when Bruce Snyder took over as the head coach. I was his first recruiting class. And so he brought in guys like Terry Shea and Steve Mariucci and uh, Bill Lavarone was already there and Marinelli was already there. But there there were just some great coaches on that staff. And he brought in a a group of freshmen. Bruce recruited for toughness. That's what he wanted in that first group. And it's exactly what he got. they're, They're guys that I still talk to to this day. But he literally built a team from that freshman class on through that we went to the Copper Bowl my junior year, and we were a good football team, but not a great one. And then my senior year, we were a great football team, ended up playing that Citrus Bowl. We beat Clemson like they stole something, 37-13. And Bruce pulled me in the fourth quarter, even though I begged him to let me hang 50 on him. Um, but then he, he, uh, we finished that off, and we were number seven in the country to finish the season. So just a great five years. And then I was his last graduating class as well before he went on to Arizona State. So did
2: Fantastic. you did you think that uh, so was the NFL in your sights then? I mean you you know I, I think you felt like you were going to get drafted. Tell tell us about what that was what that was like
1: and sort of what 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 were you going through when you were waiting for that? Well, it was interesting because um, you, you know you Pac-12 offense or at the time Pac-10. It keeps you know I keep throwing back, but Pac-10 yeah. offensive MVP. Um, I was one of the highest rated quarterbacks in the country. Mel Kuyper had me picked as the number two quarterback on the draft board. Um but I had I had really bad mechanics um in terms of throwing. You know, that's right when the short release was coming in. And so I would I would drop the ball down like an old catcher, which is what I played. And that's how I threw the ball. And I think that knocked me down, and you never know, you know, and I I don't want it to sound like sour grapes, everything life is an experience, but that knocked me down. I think the fact that our coaching staff left and they weren't at Cal when NFL scouts came out to talk to you, all they could do is watch film. And the new coaching staff um, with Keith Gilbertson and his crew didn't know us or had a chip on their shoulder because they were trying to circle the wagons on their team. And so I think that hurt our class as well. Um, I ended up getting drafted in the eighth round to Tampa and they had already drafted Craig Erickson. And quite honestly, Craig Erickson and I were exactly the same dude. Six-two-two-zero-five. same arm strength, same foot speed. I mean, we were the same dude. I think Sam Weich was looking to reproduce Joe Montana. Um, and so he drafted the same guy. And so I was drafted in the eighth round. Craig was drafted in the third round. And I didn't I, – you know, again, not sour grapes. I just didn't really get a shot to play. And so that was kind of my NFL experience.
0: So, Mike, when, when you look back at uh, where you were then and kind of you know being stuck in that position of – what do I do now? Right. Not necessarily being eight years old in the car seat, but um, <laughs> what what was the thoughts and, you know, going forward and, and figuring out what that passion was? Uh, or do I you know, continue to chase the dream of football and, and continue to play?
1: Well, I kind of did both. I knew. So after after I got released uh, from Tampa in ninety three, I knew that I wanted to continue playing. Uh, I ended up going to camp in the CFL. So I was in the Canadian League. Um, and I was not a good fit up in, in – uh, it was Baltimore then, and they were the Colts originally before they got sued. Became the Baltimore Stallions. Um, but I wasn't a real fit there. They had Tracy Ham, who was a running guy. I came in. Uh, didn't really fit the system, and so that didn't work out for me. But my quarterback coach, Joe Barnes, moved on to Shreveport the next year. In the meantime, I played in the Arena League in 95. Uh, 90, yeah, 95 and then Joe – at the end of the arena football season, uh, brought me into Shreveport. So I literally was on an active professional roster for 30 games that year uh, between the Arena League and the CFL. Wow. Yeah, it was a lot of football. And so uh, I decided after that 95 year that I just, I did not like the CFL game. It wasn't my thing, but the Arena League was kind of cool and it, it was interesting to me. I played on a really bad team down in Miami, which is also another great story. They, it was probably the worst team in the history of organized football. It was, the Miami, it was the Miami Hooters, which was owned <laughs> oh boy. by Dave Lagaschultz, who was one of the original you know, founding seven of the Hooters restaurants. And it was coached by John Forcade. And our GM was Bob Hugo. And all, all good guys, not one of them cared more about football than they did their social life. And so mm. they literally, the night before the first game, the head coach and the GM insisted that i come down with them to south beach in miami and go hang out and drink and eat and this is like my first game in the arena league i've never played and they're like you need to come down and party with us and i'm like I, that's not what i do i'm an athlete i don't know how to do that and so we went down my wife my wife at the time and i went down i didn't drink kind of hung out till like 11 30 i'm like i gotta get home we're playing tomorrow and so went home. But that was kind of how the whole season went. That stuff was paramount. We didn't have any game film. So we, I literally had to bribe the team with barbecue to get them to my house to watch game film from the game before. It was like a league of their own, right? It was one of these, these stories that you just hear about. Wow. Uh, and, and, and so it was, it was quite the experience. Um, but I ended up in Albany in 96 in the Arena League. And that was actually our head coach, Mike Daly, one of my favorite coaches, if not my favorite to this day of all times, just a fantastic human being. Ran it. Um, in 96, Mike Hohens, was the head coach, but Daly and Hohens together ran it as a professional sports organization. Uh, and that's where I got back to the love of football. And that's where I kind of took over my playing career.
2: You know, the, 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 NF, the, the XFL, which – in our Mike and my connection was I was uh, running Giants Enterprises in San Francisco at the time, yeah. and we uh, you know we were the home uh, uh, the one year home of the San Francisco Demons. Yeah. Mike was our Mike was our star, and uh, I like to tell people this is great. I, I said we, we hold the all time attendance record in the XFL, and people say, hey, that's great. Uh, how, how long did that last? I said, well, it was just for one year, so
1: five games, five, <laughs> games. <laughs> five
2: yeah. games, but it was fun. We played in a, you played in a, in a, in our ballpark, which we filled it up every time. But, uh, but I, what I didn't know until later, and I was just reading about you, Mike, was that you played a portion of that season with a, with a broken, with a broken vertebrae in your neck. Is that right?
1: Yeah. I, I, so I, I had finished the, uh, the arena league season 99. We won the world championship. I had broken my neck uh, that the the year that year, or not? I I hadn't broken it, but I got a neck injury, and so I came into the XFL. I had a previous, you know, unstable neck. The second game we're playing Las Vegas, um, I throw an interception and I go to make a tackle, and as I do, Mike Kislak, who's our center, gets blocked right in my back, and he being falling down hits me, and so he throws me literally head first into a pile, which hits me on top of the head and shears you know it compresses my neck and and shears my head to the side and at the time I knew something bad had happened because it got really hard to breathe and I and I got tingling in my fingertips kind of couldn't feel my hands and I told myself quit being a you know a wuss um, and you're just have you're just panicking you're freaking out because your neck knock it off and so I, I said okay fine I'm just going to, I'm, I'm, it's just me freaking out. I'm not doing anything. And I just kept playing. And so I, after the game, uh, saw, saw our neck guy. who was really good. Um, went home. I woke up the next day and literally couldn't feel my arms from the shoulders down. Mm. Um, went and got an epidural and I, I had, I had literally retired. So I went to Jim Skipper's office, our head coach. I had literally retired. And said, I'm done. It's over. I can't feel my arms. My neck is screwed up. I can't do it. I went and saw uh, my doc who, gave, who had been giving me epidurals for quite a while. And uh, he gave me an epidural, and my body loves cortisone. I mean, absolutely loves it. And the next morning I woke up, boy, and I felt like a million bucks. And the doc was looking at it under a fluoroscope. It wasn't a a straight X-ray or a straight MRI. He was looking at under a fluoroscope and he goes, I think you're good. Disc space looks fine. Everything looks okay. I think you're good. If this clears you up, you're good to go. And so I (laughs) unretired and I missed two games and then finished the rest of the XFL season with it. Um, And then tore my rotator cuff in the final regular season game. But but the XFL was hard on quarterbacks. I was one of two guys, I believe, that actually finished the season on their feet. Uh, Everybody else had career-ending injuries.
2: Wow. And now, wow. They're, now you know, and now that was in uh, 2001. Now they're going to they're bringing the XFL back in a different sort of thing going on. But, Mike, you, you, you know, you, you you versatile guy like you were in football and baseball. You went on to broadcasting. I know that you did a number of uh, uh, you had your own show. You did it. You broadcast for Cal. You were on Comcast, <laughs> Fox. Um but you also combine that with your sort of your love, I guess, childhood love of the outdoors. Talk about talk about that a bit.
1: So I'm, I'm in and out of my timeline here. But for people trying to follow along, we're going back to when I started playing in the Arena League. And I knew then that I was not going to be able to live off of my career earnings for the rest of my life. Uh, I was mm-hmm. smart enough. I'm a Cal guy. I knew that I was going to have to do something else. And I had a whole offseason when I'm playing in the Arena League to, to set myself up. Um, I came home that fall and Joe Starkey, who's my partner today with Cal football. um, I don't remember if he called me up. I called him. I don't remember how it happened. But Joe said, we have never had a sideline reporter and I think you'd be great. And I said, I would love to do it. It was great. And so he said, call Kevin Renault, who was our SID over at Cal. uh, And let's see if we can get this going. So I called Kevin and in true Cal fashion at the time, I said, hey, Joe said he'd love to have me as a sideline guy. And the first words out of his mouth are, we aren't paying for it. And that was, <laughs> that was the first thing he said. And I said, okay, look. And I know at some point you got to put in the work, right? You've got, to, you've got to get through that initial point. I said, that's fine. I'll do it. I went around. I ran around. I picked up the mic. You know, I would, I would do everything I could to get on, on the air. Uh, and it worked out. Great chemistry. Joe is fantastic. A phenomenal partner. Uh, Lee Grosscup was the color analyst at the time, and Lee is just a veteran, a superstar, uh, and, and, and both just fine human beings. And so those guys mentored me into the broadcasting field. And I started broadcasting college football in the fall while I was playing arena football in the spring. And it was the perfect match for me because it kept me around the, the big field game um, and it kept me active while I was still playing. And so I was able to do both and kind of transition into a broadcasting career uh, you know, when I finally got done playing in 2001.
0: Mike, what was the biggest, uh, lesson you learned from let's just call it taking a chance, right? Like you could have, you could have hung up the phone or, or said, yeah, I'm not doing it because I'm not getting paid. What was the biggest lesson you learned from just taking that chance and doing it?
1: That's an exceptional question. Um, and it's, it's the, it's the thing that I tell all my athletes too. You, you, you can't, You can't be great until you're a beginner, right? You have to start somewhere. And if you let either your fear of failure or your ego get in the way of you taking that first step, then you're never going to get to where you want to be. There's a great quote. It says, don't give up what you want for what you want now, right? Well, I want to be successful, but I can't be unless I take these initial steps. So I need to take the initial steps to get to that point. And that was a huge part of it. Uh, I have always been, I've had ADHD, and you might notice that when I talk, you know, I was before they had the diagnosis, I was like the poster child for ADHD. And so I've always been able to kind of multitask at different things. And so I was never really scared of taking a risk. And, and I, I enjoyed media, I enjoyed football. And those are the things I was passionate about. And so I just went after them. And when the opportunity presented itself, you know, I put my foot in the door, and then just tried to shove my way the rest in as I went.
0: No, that's awesome. And,
1: and in, in, you know, your process and in your journey of, of
0: constantly, you know, continuing to get better and, you know, getting new opportunities, what was, was there an aha moment where you're like, all right, this is what I was meant to do, or this, this is my next thing.
1: Um, I don't know if there was an aha moment. I, you know, you get a lot of feedback, right? When you do something like broadcasting, you get a lot of feedback. A lot of people talk to you, they tell you, Hey, this is great. This is, you know, I love hearing you, and I used to get a lot of that from Cal fans. Cal fans, by the way, are the most phenomenal, loyal fans ever. Uh, it's easy to be an Alabama fan because they're always winning. Cal doesn't <laughs> traditionally do that, and so if you're a Cal fan, you are honest, loyal, good people, right? <laughs> and so they are fantastic, and they and they were great with me. Um, I had a again, I go back to my dad, who was a big mentor for me, just a fantastic man, and he was listening to one of my games, and he said. Mike, that was great. I really enjoyed listening to you. I mean, I got to see the game, but what's cover two? And I said, (laughs) ah, And and then he goes, yeah, I know what it is, but your mom and I are listening. And you need to be able to describe that to people at home who don't know what it is. And so I took part of that into my broadcast, where if I use a technical terms, a lot of guys get, you know, you get bogged down in technical terms or back when I played, those kind of things. And yeah. if I'm going to introduce a concept like that, I'm going to give you a quick defining sentence to explain what it is. So if you're at home, cover two, which means two high safeties are covering the deep half of the field. The corners are rolled up underneath. And now I get back into my analysis. And so that's what I learned is that I can't – I have to speak to everybody. I can't just speak to the quarterbacks at home. I also have to speak to my mother.
2: Well, it's – it, but also, you know, broadcasting – you know, and Mike and I, I've known uh, a number of guys in baseball and in football who, you know, step off the field and they move into broadcasting. I mean, it, you, you really have to work to get better. You have to listen to yourself. You have to, you know, get feedback, but you know, you, you can't sort of just fax it in. You, you have to prepare uh, to, to, to try to be as good as you can be in that field and it's, you know, some, some of it comes easy to some people, but it, it requires a lot of work and preparation and, and actual coaching, doesn't it? it? There's no
1: doubt about it. I, I was really lucky to have Joe and Lee as my mentors. They kind of, they, they just laid the roadmap out there for me and would just tell me, this is what you need to do. Uh, Lee Grosscup, I remember saying, air check, you got to do an air check. You got to listen to yourself. And I did that to figure out the parts of my style that I didn't like. Um, I remember watching Joe come in prepared with all of his boards and all the information that he had on there and figuring out your own style of how you like to prepare. I I do something different as, as a broadcaster than I've ever seen anybody else do. And that when I prepare my boards, I do them numerically. Everybody else does it by position and I could never find a dude. Like, so when I was looking for number four in college football, he may be an outside backer. He may, you know, he may be a tight end. He may be a quarterback. I don't know. But if I do it numerically, I can find him first and I know what position he plays. So all my, you know, everybody thinks that broadcasters know exactly, you know, all this information about everybody. But when you're doing a college football game, you've got to know 44 guys deep and then special teams and coaches. And so you can't have all the information top of mind. You have to have a board or a card that you, it's just a flash card that you can refer back to. I do mine numerically and that way I never miss. I know exactly where he's at on my board and then I can go from there if I need information.
2: There's a there's a lot of things to remember. I mean, I I will say, you know, John Miller who, you know, broadcast baseball, he actually is in the Hall of Fame. He for years, I'm not sure if he still does this, but he would take he would take an egg timer and put it in front of him and flip it over and what that would do would remind him of the score. He said people want they want to know, you know, what the score is and in baseball
1: it's something to, And that was one of the ways he, you know, helped remind himself to do it. That's a, that's a great inside tip. One of the f- things I learned early on is that you give the team who's ahead first, right? You don't, you don't say, oh, and it's USC 7, Washington 24. That sounds weird to people. And I did that on the air. And one of my friends said, what are you doing? And I said, what? <laughs> and he said, you got to read the team that's ahead first. I'm like, oh, I guess that makes sense, right? All these little things that you have to pick up. And so the, uh, a big one for me was I write on my boards, slow down. Because I've got so much information that I want to get across and I want to tell people. And you can't get it all in, especially in this day and age of college football. You can't get it all in. And so I pick a main point that I think is going to make a difference. And I can always get back to that point later. But something that's going to explain to you what just happened or what you should be looking for. I love giving people something to look for, to really keep them engaged in the game. And so as an analyst, if I can do that and keep them engaged in a game, then I've done my job but I have to slow down to get that thought in. Otherwise I'll, I would be all over the place.
0: Mike, take, take us through kind of the, the next steps of your journey and, and what you're up to now. Um, and maybe how some of the, the things that you've gone through, you know, along the way have helped you get to, to where you are now and, and,
1: you know, maybe what you've learned from it. Well, so I went from on-air broadcasting and I had always wanted to do outdoor TV. As part of what I did in the offseason, not just calling college games, but I was also uh, an outdoor guide, a fishing guide for a long time. And so while I was broadcasting, I also started a company that started doing instructional videos for fly fishing. And then from there, I went and talked to the outdoor channel. And I, literally, my whole pitch was, you need me. I'm a professional athlete, professional outdoorsman, and a TV producer and on-camera talent. And I said, you need me. I can do a show for you. It will be fantastic. I can produce it. I had no clue what it took to produce full episodic television in a long series like this. But I knew that they needed me. I knew that, right? That was that was in my head. And so that pitch line worked. And they said, we'll do a joint venture. You go out and shoot a show. Um, you cut it. You produce it. Send it back in. We'll take a look at it. If we like it, we'll do something. So I went and fished on the Klamath River. I caught eight steelhead in two days. Uh, I, I had one of them wrap me around the anchor cord, ended up getting it loose. It was really exciting TV for, for a fly fishing show. I cut it, turned it in. And the next day I had an offer for 13 shows. And, wow. s- and so I started producing that. I went on to produce, it was the show was called Familiar Waters. I went on to produce that show for 15 years. We were the fan favorite fly fishing show on Outdoor Channel for like seven of those 15 years. While I was doing that, Outdoor channel got into their HD revolution and they asked me if I hunted as well. And I said, yeah, I do. And so I started producing hunting TV with a show called fall flight in which part of it was bird hunting. And part of it was me training my little black lab named BJ. And so um, that was a big hit for four years and they kept growing. And they said, what about something else? And I said, well, I can bring former pros on and you know, other football players on. And they said, great. So I started producing gridiron outdoors And so at one point I was doing like 39 episodic television shows a year for outdoor channel. Um, and I was producing gridiron outdoors, familiar waters, fall flight, all these things. And gridiron outdoors has run for, uh, 10 years now it's on outdoor America now. And so I've been doing that. Um, but my real, my real passion, what I love doing, I love the outdoors. I I like making TV. I love coaching. I, I love working with young athletes. Uh, and, and getting to that aha moment, like you said, Jake, that, you know, where you see the athlete just light up, they finally get a concept or they get, you know, something, a feel, a throw. And so we started a new website now. It's, it's a training site. And I'm working with athletes uh, like Dan O'Brien, who you remember, 19, uh, he's a 96 Olympic gold medalist in the decathlon, uh, mm-hmm. working with Brandi Chastain, just a legend in soccer. I can remember being in the airport when she scored her game winning World Cup penalty shot working with Michelle Granger, who is probably the most dominant athlete to ever play in any sport at any time as a softball pitcher. Uh, Holly McPeak, who is a fantastic beach volleyball coach. We've got Hardy Nickerson coaching linebackers. I'm coaching quarterbacks. John Zuber, uh, 11-year pro baseball player, is coaching baseball for us. Ben Braun, former Cal coach, uh, is coaching basketball. Jerry Smith, the head coach at Santa Clara, is coaching soccer, along with Brandy. And so put together some incredible names. Uh, to do a training site called eliteathletestv.com and help coach young athletes because you you have, you know, in, in here in the Bay area, if somebody wants to hire me to coach quarterbacks, they can do that. But in Iowa or in Minnesota or in North Dakota, you may not have access to a quarterback coach in your area. And so with the advent of modern technology, like we're doing here, you can get online go to eliteathletestv.com, com and you can find a world class coach and work on the programs that we've set up with the skills and the drills that we teach on that site to get better at your position or your sport
0: so some some would call that entrepreneurism right a right bit. right um, you know how how did you get to that concept in the sense of creating the website and the, you know the the content and you know having other coaches like what was the thought process in terms of um, you know, ultimately getting to the spot you're in now?
1: It was, it was kind of, it was an evolution, but I don't know that I saw it happening at the time. I worked for people when I was playing football. Yes. I love playing football, but it was a job just like. And so I did that and, and I did it well. I was in control of my future. When I get cut in Tampa, that's not my choice. When I get cut in the CFL, that's not my choice. Right. When I play for a team, in the arena football league that the GM and the, and the head coach just want to party. That's not my choice. I have to work for them. That's my employer. And so I think it evolved out of that in that I wanted to have more control in my life and being an entrepreneur, you get a lot more control, but there's, a, there's, there's risk there too. You're, you're investing your money. You're putting in your time. Uh, you have to do all the training. You have to have the answers, right? It's not coming from somebody else. And There's nobody to blame, but you, and so I think I grew into that, wanting to have that control at the same time um, that I wanted to do things that were unique, that you, you either had to do yourself or you weren't going to do them, like producing my own television shows for outdoor TV. If I wasn't doing that, if I wasn't making EliteAthletesTV.com, then I wasn't going to be a part of it. And so it just kind of evolved into where it was. I don't know that there was a moment where I said, you know what? I need to be an entrepreneur. I just think that was my, that's my nature. I'm not scared to take risk. Um, and I, I always knew that I could learn the skills I needed. Uh, you know, elite, EliteAthletesTV.com was kind of the perfect culmination of having my own TV production company that I've been doing. You know, I've been running for 20 years, having a sports background and being a sports broadcaster, having all of the connections in sports where I could get people like Dan O'Brien, Brandy Chastain to come on board and see what we're doing. Um, and so it was all of that being able to put all that together and then make a package out of it, having the vision to see it and the ability to put it together.
2: So, so did you have, I mean, it, what I think is remarkable is that, you know, you really, you know, really showed your versatility here. I mean, you said, I, and I read somewhere where you talked about, you know, the importance of, of coaching and stuff that you, that you had coaches that you've had that really influenced you. I mean, who were the, who were the, the people who influenced you in terms of coaching and people that maybe, you know, now you've got a, you've got an elite athlete site that really is a coach. I mean, it's a coach for people who are trying to get better. Talk a little bit about that.
1: Uh, There's, there's several guys that influenced me. Uh, My high school coach, John Turek was a fantastic human being. Great man. Uh, It was, he was a character guy, highest of character guys. um, Was a really good coach was a disciplinarian a little bit, but not a real hard-ass, um, but was, a, was, was hard on, enough on us in football that we knew we were playing football. Um, but when it came to X's and O's, we ran the wing T, and I didn't know anything about playing quarterback at the next level. And so when I got to Cal, Terry Shea was a fantastic coach, just a great – again, another great human being. Uh, loved him, loved his family, and he was the perfect co- quarterback coach for me as a young quarterback – when he left to take the job at San Jose State, Steve Mariucci stepped in, and he was my quarterback, coach, and offensive coordinator. And Mooch was awesome. Uh, it, charismatic as the day is long. Uh, his X's and O's were really good. We changed over the offense, I think. But his motivation on the team, right, his ability to connect with the players was really strong, and that was, that was his strength, his charisma. Um, he was an excellent influence on me. But when I left there, I, like I said, my throwing mechanics weren't very good. And I asked him later, I said, what, why didn't you coach me? And he said, you were a 60% passer when guys were throwing 57%. He goes, I wasn't going to fix it because it wasn't broke. Mm -hmm. And so I thought, you know, at some point in a young athlete's life, you need to find that guy who's the mentor for you that kind of, if they can brings you all these things, or you go out and find it on your own. And so that, that was the idea for athletes TV, being the coach who can be there to help these young athletes Develop the skills that they need, you know, to get to that next level. I'll, when I played in the Arena League, Kurt Warner and I played against each other. I think five times. I think it was three to two, and I can't remember who won more games. But in one get, in in four, in two of the games, he threw ten passes or I threw ten passes, and he threw nine passes or I threw nine passes. Right? We went toe to toe. Clint Dolzell, I just talked to him today. He's the head coach of the new Frisco team, the IFL. He was an incredible quarterback in that league. I mean, incredible quarterback. Mark Grebe was an incredible quarterback in that league. Any one of us could have gone to the NFL in the right situation and had success. Kurt did. And he's a fantastic quarterback. This is not taking anything away from him, but it was about opportunity. And, and so Kurt got the opportunity. There are young kids out there who aren't getting that opportunity and who aren't getting maybe the coaching they need at the level they're at. And so I thought bringing them something that they can access for an inexpensive price to be a one sport athlete at eliteathletestv.com. It's literally under $10 a month. So less than 33 cents a day for a kid to get on there, get coached up by a world-class coach. And, and we wanted to provide that opportunity for kids at home that they could get that type of mentorship, that type of coaching, that type of instruction, the technical side of it, that they could improve their game.
0: Mike, where do you, where do you see, you know, I know, I know, when I asked you, you know, what what was kind of the vision behind being an entrepreneur and, and coming up with this, but now that you are where you are now, where do you see it going? What's what's kind of the vision uh, a little bit ahead in terms of you know whether it's the content piece or you know other other sports, other coaches, um, you know, I, are you going to get into esports? Do we do we even bother asking
1: that question? Get into esports. Yeah. yeah, that's not my gig, but if my son comes on board, <laughs> we'll definitely be in eSports because he loves it. Um, it's, I know it's huge right now. and I, I, We've actually talked to people who are involved in eSports. Uh, and so I know that's a huge thing. I can't coach it. I promise you that. Uh, but we will have more coaches coming on. There will be more content. Literally, if an athlete gets on the site right now, they have over 1,500 pieces of content to choose from already. And so there is a ton of television caliber content out there really well produced really nice visually really good instructionally and we will be adding coaches we will be adding more content all the time you know content is king in this day and age and so we will be adding that more in time uh we'll be creating future partnerships both with brands so that we can expand our reach uh and and bringing it to other places that where the act where the 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 combination of both brands helps pay off for both brands, but also for the kids who are involved in it. And so we're trying to get, you know, share it out. If you're listening at home, share out eliteathletestv.com because there's a young athlete right now, and this is going to make a huge difference in their life. And so we're trying to get this out to those kids. We could have charged it really exclusively and tried to focus down on, you know, a couple of athletes around the country and use that business model. But all of us as coaches really wanted to share this with as many young athletes as possible because sports – is a difference maker in a young athlete's life. I mean, if you have success at sports and build that self-confidence and build that self-esteem, you know, it's, it's the stepping stone to the next great success. And, and just being able to give that to a young athlete anywhere in the country uh, or anywhere in the world, for that matter, is a fantastic thing. And we all, we all agreed that we would really like to help as many athletes as possible, not focused down just to make money. We wanted to open it up to everybody.
0: No, that's fantastic. And, and I, Pat, I, you know, let me know if there's anything else you have, but, you know, the one thing I've, I've, you know, kind of heard throughout the whole episode, Mike, is just your passion behind everything, whether it was, you know, what you're doing on, on the field um, and your experiences there, or, you know, the fly fishing or the, or the TV production, or, you know, what you're doing now is is truly just the passion behind everything. And, and um, you know, what's, what's maybe the one piece of advice or one insight you would, you would give to those who are listening in terms of, you know, finding that passion for, for what it is you want to do, or, you know, if you're not doing something that you're necessarily super keen on, how do you, how do you find
1: that thing that you are passionate about? The things that I was passionate about always found me, right? It's what I found myself gravitating to. I gravitated towards sports. I gravitated towards the outdoors. I gravitated towards TV production. And so they kind of found me. I didn't go out and search. It's like a nickname. If you're looking for one, it's never going to stick. But if it finds you naturally, then that's going to work. And so it, your, your passions, you will know them when they hit you, when you find them. The, the key to it, and this is a big one. My wife, Suzanne, is fantastic about this, is keeping a positive mental attitude. You... You know, you hear, you hear it from everybody from Tony Robbins to Joel Osteen to Zig Zagler. I mean, everybody, that positive mental attitude is everything. As soon as you start getting negative about things, then everything starts to look dark. Everything starts to look black and you you find ways not to do it. I think that people are their worst enemies in the fact that they they convince themselves that it's not worth their time. They don't want to put their ego out there. They don't want to risk kind of that blow to. I can't, you know, I I can't make this happen. Therefore, it's going to make me feel worse. Well, by doing that, you automatically make it so that what whatever your dream is will not happen. If you if you choose to be negative about it and choose not to do it, then you've already shut it down. So you've you've created the no. If you're positive about it, you keep at it. You find a way to make it work. You know, if you if you think about it like water rolling down a boulder, it's going to find paths. It's going to change course, but eventually it's going to get to the bottom. You have to be the same way with what you're doing with your passion or with your business. Keep that positive attitude and look for those avenues of opportunity when they appear. And if you can do that and, and stay positive about it and stay at it, then that's, that's the only way to succeed.
2: Okay, Mike. So you mentioned nickname. Let's finish off the episode. How did you get the <laughs> nickname of the Polish rifle?
1: Yeah, that's a great one. This is awesome. So Mariucci was my coach. I was I a was Cal. And we played UOP uh, back when they had a football program. And we had gone out as a team. We had to buy the first week. We went out as a team to go watch them play Sac State the week before, and they got beat by Sac State. And we're like, wow, we're going we're gonna to put a hurting on this team because we knew we were a pretty good football team at that point, but we didn't know exactly how good. We played a Memorial Stadium to open the season. And by the end of the first half, I had thrown 13 passes and six touchdowns and one of my incompletions, the ref's flag actually hit the ball in midair and my receiver, you know, kind of tip drill missed it. (laughs) And so after that game, ESPN comes out, Lee Corso comes out and uh, he sits down with me, said, Hey, it's the new Polish rifle and, and puts it over ESPN. I'm thinking, you can't call me that. That's, that's Ron Jaworski. Like, you know, I I can't be the Polish rifle. I literally, as a young kid, I had two NFL beanies. One was the Atlanta Falcons and one was the Philadelphia Eagles because it was Steve Bartkowski and Ron Jaworski, right? My two Polish quarterbacks. And so I had those beanies. So he calls me that and I'm, and Mariucci is talking to me in the office. He's like, you know, that's Ron Jaworski. I'm like, I know. I didn't tell him to call me that. He called me that. Well, two days later in the mail, I get a package and I open it up and it's a picture and it's and it's Ron Jaworski. And it says from the old Polish rifle to the new <laughs> Ron Jaworski. <laughs> I'm like, that is absolutely awesome. And I've had a couple of brushes like that where you have people who are literally icons, you know, that you look at as as these sports icons. Jaworski was one of them. John Elway is one of them. I was at the Shrine Game practice and Ronnie Locke came up to me and said, hey, Mike, how you doing? Yeah, watched you it was great and knew all about my Cal career like like things like that for a young athlete are amazing and so i try to go out of my way to do that for young athletes because that's another thing that helps you know add to that confidence but anyway so that's how i became the polish rifle it was pretty cool i told ron jaworski about it later on he was the owner of the philadelphia soul in the arena league and so i told him that story he's like oh yeah i remember it was great we had dinner together but you know i became the new polish rifle at that point uh is there is there another
0: polish rifle now
1: I haven't. Well, I mean, there's been plenty of Polish quarterbacks. Let's not kid ourselves. Um, it seems that's one thing that us Pollocks gravitate to is playing quarterback and O-line. And so there's, there's been plenty of them, but I have not heard of the new, new, new Polish rifle or hey, maybe Pol- you'll
2: find one on the outdoor show, you know, would, it, would Some- it be
1: Polish rifle squared at this point? I'm not sure. Yeah. Yeah.
0: <laughs> that's awesome. Well, Mike, really appreciated having you on life in the front office. Uh, you know, awesome story. Uh, certainly enjoyed, you know, hearing your insights and wisdom, and uh, always enjoy it, Pat. Uh, looking forward to the next episode.
2: Great, and uh, just for anybody who's listening, check out Elite Athletes TV um, on the web, and you can learn all about what Mike's doing uh, with his uh, with his new venture. And Mike, I, thanks so much.
1: Absolutely, appreciate you guys having me on. Great to talk to you. <laughs>
0: I want to take the time to thank you for listening to Life in the Front Office. And if you liked our episode, please rate us on Apple Podcasts and leave a review. We greatly appreciate it. And for more episodes, visit us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or on our website at lifeinthefrontoffice.com. And please continue to share uh, with your colleagues on social media and help us continue to grow. Thanks.